0: Well, uh, welcome in Christ's name. I know we've got some guests here this morning. Uh, My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. And if you're tuning in online, we want to welcome you. Do we think that's running this morning, Carl? We think it's good, okay, awesome, good. So I would like to say that we normally don't have this many technical difficulties, but we do, we're usually kind of scrambling, amen, right, we're usually scrambling, which keeps us very humble uh, on Sunday morning, and uh, a great reminder that for sure, uh, worship is not about us, Uh, it is truly about uh, giving our best efforts uh, and glory to God. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of John. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, as Jeff said at the top of the service this morning, we're spending uh, pretty much all year um, hanging out in the gospel of John, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, trying to do a bit of a deep dive uh, into uh, uh, the the gospel of John. And uh, I know many of you are uh, reading along in your uh, daily reading. So uh, for many of you, as we talk about this story this morning of healing, uh, of a man being made uh, well, Um, you're like, yeah, I've been studying this all week long. In fact, I've been talking about this in my small group, and uh, it's been a great journey. But for some of you, uh, you're coming in cold this morning, I know. And so uh, just want to welcome you in Christ's name. And uh, we would like to give one of these devotionals to you this morning if you're a guest today as just our way of saying thanks for being here. We're so glad uh, that you're with us, joining us. And uh, we just want to bless you uh, with this devotional of God's Word. I normally do not title my sermons, uh, but this morning I thought I would title the sermon, Do You Want to Get Well? So that's, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, and that is the, the title of the sermon uh, as we go through John 5, uh, the first few verses of John 5. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, uh, that as we have gathered together this morning, uh, that your Holy Spirit dwells among us. Um, that you have invited us uh, to rise up, um, to, 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 to sit up, to rise up, to stand up, and to walk. Uh, and God, we've come to this place this morning. I know some of us are, are weary. Some of us are exhausted. Uh, some of us might be a little stressed. Um, and, and so, God, I just pray that you would take all of our thoughts, all of our emotions, and just bring us into this place to be present now as we look at your holy word. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about four years ago, uh, I woke up. uh, I don't know what day of the week it was, but I had a terrible headache. And normally when I have a headache, I take some meds and I go back to bed. And so I took some meds and went back to bed. I woke back up a couple hours later. I still had a splitting headache. And I think I probably took some more meds, different kind of med, and I, my headache just would not go away. And I thought, well, maybe by tomorrow I'll get better. S- second day I woke up, same thing. I just did not feel well. I had a terrible splitting headache. And normally I can just kind of take care of this. And this went on for a couple of days. And uh, I think by uh, day three or four, my wife got tired of me moaning and groaning and said, you need to go to prompt care, urgent care, whatever. And I you know, was like, I had really had it, and so I went into prompt care, and they kind of did all the deal when you normally go to prompt care. They ask you the questions, and uh, the doctor said to me, "I think you've just got a virus," and I'm like, "Okay, um, no meds, just go home. You know, chicken soup, sleep. You know, kind of all that good stuff." And so. Um, this went on for a couple more days, and I just—I my head was just splitting, and so uh, I went back to Prompt Care, um, and you know, same thing. Oh, uh, you've just got a virus; it's just kind of hanging on a little bit long. And I normally don't recommend this. In fact, this is not medical advice this morning. But you know what happened, right? Google. And uh, so my wife and I went on Google and we're trying to self-diagnose. Don't do that. Don't try that at home, right? It's, but I, was, I was desperate. I just had such a splitting headache and I just was not feeling any better. Well, we learned on Google that there might be an option. And so the third time I went back to the doctor, I said, I wonder if I've got Lyme's disease, is there any way you can check for this? And they're like, oh yeah, we can check for that, but Lyme's disease isn't really normal in this part of the country. Well, I, don't, I travel outside of Bloomington, Illinois sometimes. Uh, and so sure enough, I tested positive for Lyme disease and uh, it's been really interesting. They, they treated it, you know, they got medicine, all that. But you, as you probably might know, Lyme disease is one of those things that there's not a lot known about it and there's not a real good cure rate on it. And so it manifests itself after some time of uh, fatigue fatigue and foggy brain. Those are the primary, uh, uh, I guess, conditions that go on, on and on. And so it's been really interesting over the last couple of years, my wife will look at me and she'll say, do you think that's your Lyme disease? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, Because, but maybe, right? You know, brain fog, fatigue, and I'm 53 and I'm just like, maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe my body's just wearing out or maybe it is a Lyme disease, you know? I don't know. But it's just kind of been one of those mystery things. My kids claim that I've had brain fog and fatigue for a long, long time. But it's just kind of one of those things that I've been living with for the last couple years. And I don't know if you've ever had uh, any kind of illness or anything where there wasn't anything real definitive about it. Or there was a cure for it. Or, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that you've had to learn to deal with. Maybe it's chronic Pain, you know, I know uh, people deal with all sorts of different chronic issues, and there's not really a pill for that, right, or a therapy for that. It's just kind of one of those things of uh, just living with it, of dealing with it. And that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about this morning, is what do you do um, when it's not always clear in terms of what your illness is, or frankly, how to treat the illness uh, when uh, interesting things are going on in your body and, and, and maybe in your mind. And so, as I said, we're going to look at the Gospel of John here this morning, John 5, um, and we're going to pick it up with John 5, 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up because uh, you're going up to Mount Moriah, which is about 2,500 feet above sea level. So, you'll see this over and over throughout Scripture that people were going up to Jerusalem because you had to go up in elevation. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, the Sheep Gate, uh, this particular gate going into Jerusalem, it was not the VIP entrance, It was actually the entrance where the shepherds would go because they were bringing the sheep in uh, for the sacrifice. And there were two pools, uh, one to wash, one to bathe the sheep, so you're bringing in clean sheep so that they could be sacrificed. And then the other one was for people, for people to be washed. And so that's what's going on. They're going into the entrance of Jerusalem in toward the temple. Verse 3. Here, a number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made whole, and and whatsoever disease he had. One who had been there, uh, an invalid for 38 years. So for 38 years, there's this guy, an invalid, uh, according to, to scripture, he's just been laying there. He's been waiting. He's, he's been ill. And this whole idea in their culture, an invalid, was really a throwaway in society. There was really no value. Uh, they were considered worthless in their day and time. Now, today, people with disabilities, uh, there are more rights and um, uh, there's more respect for folks with disabilities, but not in Jesus' day. They were truly invalid. I mean, you look at this word, they were considered invalid. They were worthless. And that's how people viewed them in their day. Because in Jesus' day, in their society, people's value was based on their contribution to society. And if you were, had a disability, you were invalid. You didn't count. Now, we live in a day and time where um, people, again, with disabilities have uh, more rights. But, but isn't it true that even today, people with uh, disabilities are viewed as lesser in society? People um, who aren't achieving as much are not viewed as much. And this is, this is completely different For Jesus to come on the scene and all of a sudden show value to a person who is uh, invalid. And I thought, just for fun, uh, I would look up online uh, what is the most valuable animal on the planet today. Most valuable animal on the planet today. And uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but this is a Fusachi Pegasus. This is a very famous racehorse, and a couple years ago, uh, this racehorse uh, was auctioned off for $72 million. I mean, that's a pretty valuable horse, right? And it's a valuable horse um, because, of course, they're using it for breeding, because they can make more money off of this horse. And so we look at this, we look at this horse, we look at this dollar sign, and there are many people that even today, they place their value on their ability uh, to uh, what they can do. The things, the skills that they have, and they look at their worth in terms of their their contribution to society. And along comes Jesus, and he turns that all upside down. Our world says some people are more valuable than others. In fact, our world even says some people don't even deserve to be born. Jesus comes along, and he says everybody is valuable. In fact, all human beings are invaluable. It's a remarkable story that we're going to get into. So, how is it that Jesus could um, take someone who's considered invalid and turn them invaluable? Well, scripture tells us in the book of Corinthians you are not your own, you were bought with a price. See, in and of ourselves, we are not valuable. But what makes us valuable is that you were bought for a price. Jesus has named you and claimed you. He has bought you and he has adopted you into his kingdom. That's what makes you invaluable. That's what Jesus is going to uh, uh, talk about here in the story as we, we, we get underway here with Jesus encountering this man who has been considered invalid for 38 years. Now, part of the reason why people uh, in their day and time thought that uh, uh, disabled people were, uh, in va- uh, were n- had no value is because their theology. They really thought that if, if there was somebody was sick, if somebody was disabled, it's because there was some sin in their life. They deserved it, if you will. And we have this today, right? Something bad happens, and we ask ourselves, "What did I do wrong?" Why why am I struggling? Why am I suffering? I must have done something. There's some kind of sin in my life that has caused this horrible thing to happen. Or some people, I think today, the pendulum is swung in the opposite direction, and we think to ourselves something bad happens to us. Well, I'm a good person, right? Why is this happening to me? And sometimes people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Which is a dumb question, right? See, your junior high teacher told you there are no dumb questions. That's a dumb question. Because there are no good people. There was only one good person, and the very worst thing happened to him. I understand the sentiment, The question, of course, is why do all these horrible things happen around us? Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is there so much pain in the world? So this morning, I want to give you just kind of laying the the foundation here, just a couple different options about why I think there is uh, bad things happening to you, why we see uh, suffering and pain in the world. And number one is simply that we live in a fallen world. God's original plan was not this. God's original plan was that we would live with God in the Garden of Eden, in this wonderful place where there was no sin. God's original plan was not that people would get sick, not that people would die. God's original plan that, that we would live in harmony and unity with one another, and the world would be wonderful. But then sin entered into the world, and it broke everything. It ruined everything. And, of course, we live in a fallen world. You know, we turn on the television, or we read online. We see the horrible things going on in the Ukraine, right? This is the result of sin. We hear these stories, especially about children, that some kind of missile, you know, lands on an apartment complex in Kiev, and some child dies, It's just like, what in the world? That's so unjust. That child did not deserve to die. But we live in a fallen world, and that child becomes collateral damage. And sometimes when we experience pain and suffering in our lives, it's, just, it's collateral damage from the sin that's going on all around us. I woke up this morning and learned that uh, several people were killed in uh, some bad storms over in Iowa overnight. Anybody hear about this? Yeah, I mean, it just happens. Even our weather patterns have been corrupted by the sin of the world, not the fault of the people who died overnight, because sin is in the world. We live in a fallen world. Another reason why um, we experience evil, pain, and suffering uh, is because of a demonic attack. Truly because of a demonic attack. The Apostle Paul tells us that our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it gets, it's against demons, principalities, and powers. It's against spiritual forces. Sometimes we think our battle is against our boss or our teacher or someone that we don't like, right? Right? But the truth is, the battle is against the evil forces. And sometimes there are demonic forces behind those people. And we need to consider the possibility of those, uh, those demonic forces. It's like a sniper is just attacking us, comes after us, and inflicts pain on our lives. Now, sometimes people will ask me, Do you believe in demons? Yes, I do. I absolutely believe in demons. I think what the enemy wants us to do when it comes to demons is to either deny that they exist or obsess over them, right? Sometimes people will be like, hey, um, this, this and this and this and this is going on. I'm like, listen, you're just having a bad day, okay? Satan really doesn't care about your bangs. Your hair is just fine. I mean, you know people like that, right? That it's, 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 the de- it's a demon. It's Satan's fault, right? Some people get really hyper-focused around the demons of the world. It's like, no, you're just having a bad day. But I think the other extreme is for us to deny that they even exist. When we think about this, it, you, might be, you maybe uh, know someone who's ever struggled with an addiction. And as they're battling this addiction, they're doing behaviors or they're craving behaviors, they don't want to do it, but they're just pulled to it, they're drawn to it, and they step into these behaviors that they don't want to do. That sounds like a demon to me, trying to kill you, trying to pull you down, trying to destroy you. You don't want whatever that thing is. I think that's a demon. I think so many times we are wrestling with things. I think it's okay. Okay. For us to acknowledge that those are demons. They're trying to kill us, to trying to destroy us. Third category of why there's so much evil, suffering, and pain in the world is is my sin. This is my sin. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, Pastor, Satan's trying to attack me. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And they tell me, and I'm like, eh. I think you're kind of just, I don't think Satan needs anything to do with you. I don't think even there's a demon bothering you. I think you're self-destructing. I think you're doing this on your own. Because we all have sin in our lives that brings us down. Yeah, but I've got this this financial issue. Uh, You're actually just spending more money than you're taking in. It's not a demon. Yeah, I got fired up my job. Eh, you didn't show up to work. You were late. You're fooling around. You're not really trying to work, right? Oh, it's a demon. No, it's not. You got to do your job. You got to show up. Sometimes it is our sin and we got to own our responsibility. Sometimes our wounds, our pain, our suffering, it's self-inflicted. So sometimes we live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's demonic. Sometimes it's my uh, sin. Other times it's other people's sin. Sometimes it's just other people's sin. Several years ago when Faith Lutheran first began, I invited a, a guy by the name of Jim Collins to come and speak with us. I know some of you were here for that. And if you know the name Jim Collins, he's a coach in the community. And several years ago, Jim Collins' son, Michael, An athlete, 22 years old, sitting in his car, Emerson in Maine, and a drunk driver killed him. Someone else's sin killed Michael. Not Michael's fault. Just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So these are four categories And sometimes it's not always easy for us to know which one is which, right? Sometimes we don't know why am I experiencing these things that are going on in life. So for 38 years, this disabled man, this invalid, Jesus comes along. Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, Do you want to get well? Now, when I first read this, I'm like, that's kind of a dumb question, right? For 38 years, this guy has been ill. For 38 years, this guy was disabled. He was kind of a throwaway, a castaway from society. But here's the deal. I've been around uh, this planet long enough, and I know many of you too. There are some people... That don't want to get well. There are some people that would rather stay ill. There are some people uh, that want to just, just be sick. Every now and then, some people will come to me, and they're like, hey, uh, my marriage is in big trouble, right? Can you, can you do some marriage counseling? For d- FYI, I am a terrible marriage counselor, okay, just to let you know, because I'm just like, do what Jesus would do, right? I'm just, I'm just like, I-, I don't know. Ephesians 5, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, serve your wives. It's that simple. Break, go. I don't think it's any more complicated than that, right? That, that's, that, you don't want to come to me for marriage counseling. There's professionals in the community. I get so frustrated because I, I can sit down, and I have sat down with couples, and I've tried to work through issues with them, and, and I could give them nine tips and tricks on how to save your marriage, how to have a better marriage. But what I've discovered is some people don't want to fix their marriage. They'd rather just sit in the misery of their marriage. This is just true. Some people do not want to be married to that individual that they're with. And so this question, do you want to be well? It's a very valid question. Because some people just don't want to be well. Now, you could come up to me after worship this morning and say, hey, pastor, we want you to learn breakdancing. We're, we're going to hire you a coach, we're going to get you new clothes, we're going to get you new shoes, we've rented out a facility, and for weeks after weeks after weeks, you are going to be taught how to be a great breakdancer. Guess who's never going to learn how to breakdance? Because I don't want to learn how to breakdance. That sounds absolutely horrible. You got to want to be able to get Well. You know, and there are people that will even show up to church on Sunday morning. They don't want to change. They're coming to church because they think that's what they're supposed to do, but they're really coming to church like this, because they don't want to change. They want to hear, you know, a, a good message, they want to sing some songs, but just don't ask me to change. I want to stay in my mess. I want to stay sick. I heard one one pastor say it like this, some people are like a baby in dirty diapers. It's smelly, it's gross, but it's warm and it's mine, so I'm just gonna sit in it, right? I mean, who knows somebody that's sitting in a dirty diaper? If we're honest, we all know people who love to sit in their mess, right? They don't want to change. Because if they change, it takes away their excuse. Who are they going to blame for their bad behavior? Who are they going to blame for their bad attitude? When people just want to sit in their stuff, they want to be miserable. They don't want to change. So I think this question Jesus is asking, it's a valid question in their day, and it's a valid question today, right? And if we're honest, we need to ask ourselves this same question. Do you want to be well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool whenever the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of patience for excuses, You know, some people make excuses, other people make things happen. Rarely is that the same person. Excuses drive me crazy. And as I hear about all the excuses in society today, oh, I can't do it. Oh, it's too difficult for me. I need safe space. All these excuses, the world in which we live today, drives me nuts. So as I hear about this guy's excuses, as a pastor, I'm like, are you kidding me? See, if it were me, and there's some guy lying down, uh, and I have the ability to heal him, and I walk over to him, and I'm like, do you want to be well? He's like, well, I'm trying to do this, and I can't do that. I'd be like, all right, you're good. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Oh, no, you're done. You're not healed. It's a yes, no question for me. Anybody else with me here? It's like, are you kidding me? Jesus is offering him healing. He's like, I don't know. I got nine different reasons why I can't be healed. I would have moved way on by him. I would have been like Oprah giving out cars. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. Now you, dude, too many excuses. Are you sensing all the the patience and mercy and grace from your pastor this morning? (laughs) I'm just admitting this is who I am. Aren't you glad I'm not the Savior? Yeah! You'd all be fried, right? I'm just, like, I'm just saying, that's who I am. But not Jesus. He's gracious and merciful. Then Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, "Uh, The man who made me well uh, said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was uh, healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, uh, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, "'My Father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working.'" For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with the father. So, of course, Jesus heals the man. He heals the man with these words, pick up your mat and uh, walk. He uses his words to do this. And today, we experience uh, all sorts of healing in the world. And oftentimes, I think we don't give credit where credit is due. But I want to be clear. Sometimes God uses people. Sometimes God uses pills. And sometimes God uses prayer uh, to heal people. But everything, whenever we experience healing in this life, it all comes from God. If you're a doctor, God heals through you. If you're a nurse, God heals through you. If you were a counselor, God heals through you. If you've received healing through medicine, that's God's working through you. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above. I think it's important for us to always acknowledge where that healing always comes from, whether it's people, pills, or prayer, it all comes from God. We cannot uh, ignore uh, the, the source and the gift that this is. So I want to close this morning um, by just focusing in on this one verse, uh, verse 8. Jesus says to the man, take up your mat and walk. Take up your mat and walk. Think about this. How long had the guy been sitting on the mat? 38 years. Can we all agree that's a nasty mat? I mean, some of you go to yoga class and you don't uh, clean off your mat after a couple times. That's a pretty nasty smelling yoga mat, right? 38 years this guy had been laying on this mat. Where do you think he goes to the bathroom? On the mat. I mean, all the sweat, everything else. I mean, this is a nasty mat. Why in the world does Jesus say to him, take up your mat and walk? Why didn't he say, take up your mat and give it away to to restore or goodwill or frankly just burn it? That's a nasty mat. I mean, it's a very strange statement that Jesus makes. Take up your mat and walk. I think the reason, I'm guessing, that the the reason that Jesus invites him to take up his mat is because his mat, his pain, can then become his platform. We see this in the rest of the story. He's walking around. He's carrying the mat under his arm. And it's a way for him to show he's no longer tied to this mat. But at the same time, this mat does not determine who he is. This mat does not say, this is who you are. He can carry this around and show other people and say, I used to be that guy for 38 years. I was disabled, and now I just carry around this mat to remind me and to remind you, this is what Jesus has done in my life. All of a sudden, that pain becomes a platform to be able to communicate to others of who Jesus is and the goodness uh, and the ways in which he brings healing to others. Oftentimes, when we're healed, body, mind, or spirit, however we're healed, we, we just stop talking about it, right? We burn the mat. We don't want to tell other people about our mat. Because we're, we're not sure what to do with it, right? We're not sure how to use that mat as a platform to help others to understand who Jesus is. But Romans 8.1 Tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in your mat. Your mat does not define you. Your mat does not proclaim who you are. The cross does. And this is the beautiful thing about the story, I think, is that Jesus says, Don't get rid of your mat. Hang on to your mat. Roll, roll it up and carry it around and show others. You are a new creation. Your mat does not define you. I do. Don't get rid of that mat. That's a platform. That's a way for you to help others to become healed. Take up your mat and walk. Pick it up and walk. Notice it doesn't say that the guy picked up the mat, walked, and then the next weekend, Jesus found him back at the pool of Bethesda laying back down on it. I mean, that would be kind of nasty, right? That would be gross. That would be silly. But the truth is, this is what so many of us as Jesus followers do. We experience healing in our lives, and then we go back to the mat. We go back to the sin. And it's very confusing to people in the world when we continue to go back to our mat, back to our filth, back to our sin. People are like, I thought you were healed. I thought you were redeemed. I thought you were rescued. I thought you were saved. Oh, I am. I'm just going to lay here in my mat because it feels comfortable. It's what I know for 38 years. Pick up your mat and walk. Keep going. Don't put your mat back down and lay back down in your sin, I think is what Jesus is saying here. Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're all tempted to lay back down on our mats, right? We're all tempted to go back to our sin. Those things in our lives that are nasty and gross and disgusting. But they're comfortable and they're familiar. And I think this is why it's so important for us to be in Christian community. Because left to our own devices, we're just going to put down our mat every now and then and lay on it. Just lay in our sin, because it's so familiar. And I know so many of you are part of a life group this year, connecting with other people. And that's really a place for you to be able to gather together and say, you know what, I'm really wrestling, I'm really struggling, I am really tempted to go lay back down in my mat, to go back to my sin. I have to say, I love that so many of you are part of a life group, part of a small group connecting with other people, but here's the deal. It's really easy to just keep showing up in your small group, in your life group, and you show up, and you, you, every week you get together, every other week, and, hey, how are you doing? Oh, blessed. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome, right? I mean, how many of you know that even if you're in a small group, it's really easy uh, to just snowball everybody else? It's so easy to just show up, even in a small group, and just kind of put on this facade. I'm good. Oh, man, I am so, so blessed, highly favored. God is good. Amen? Right? I mean, we know the language, right? So if you're in a small group, that's step one. But step two is to be honest. Be honest about the sin, about the brokenness, about the struggles, about the temptations in your life. Be honest all with those things that you want to go lay back down in on your mat. This is why it's so important for us. And I know this is hard. This is kind of new for me, too. I'm used to showing up and just telling everybody, oh, I'm good, I'm good. We're just talking. We're having a good conversation here. I think this is one of the fundamental differences of what it means to be a part of a life group, is to be with people, gather with people in an intentional way, but then be honest. Honest about the struggles and the temptations in your life. So I want to close just by asking the same question that Jesus asked this man: Do you want to get well? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you tired of that broken relationship? Are you at a place in your life where you're sick? Are you in a place in your life where you just keep laying back down on the mat? Do you want to get well? You really want to get well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you are a God who comes to us in our mess, who comes to us in our sickness, who comes to us on our mat. And God, we pray that as we heard this question this morning, do you want to get well? that each one of us would be honest about that question. They would do some self-evaluation, some self-reflection, and then even surrender to Jesus. God, we pray that we would hear and receive your words of get up and walk that we would gather together with other Jesus followers who could encourage us, walk with us, support us. And when we're tempted to lie back down, invite us to keep walking. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.